About five years ago, I started on a journey by coming to a basic beginning understanding that the Bible is a layered book. It's not just a story with words and characters and people and events. It's a physical book, but it's also a spiritual book. It touches a person emotionally with the accounts and events and inspiration. But beyond this is the spiritual aspect that it is supernaturally created or inspired, and that there are so many hidden meanings and layers to every story which reveal its divine creation and formation. When I began this journey of looking at the Bible as a layered, inspired word, one of the first accounts that grabbed me was the story of Judge Ehud. The layers of this account are phenomenal. Some ancient scholars say the Bible text have seven layers. Others say three. Regardless, it's layered and deep. But the amazing thing is that the Bible can meet a person where they are at, from the basic physical stories to the deep, deep undertones. Judge Ehud has so much hidden language in less than a chapter. It's one of those really rich yet uncommon accounts. That's why I like it so much. If everything is written in the Bible on purpose and everything happened on purpose in each location, then the types and shadows of this account can be overwhelming. When I started Message to Kings, I truly didn't know where we were going, and I've been floored by the understanding of the Bible that opens up when you examine things from a cultural and historical perspective, and it is my honor to relay this account of Judge Ehud, which has meant so much in my journey of understanding God's Word. All right, here we go. The flames were intense as he smashed the smeltering bronze with his hammer as sparks flew across the pit. But he was not deterred. He turned the bronze rod and smashed it again and again with the hammer as sparks and ash flew around him. Determined to fashion the bronze into a weapon of use for its master, he was willing to allow himself to be burned, scorned, and beaten with the sparks all while the forging of the weapon occurred. Days turned to weeks and weeks turned into months as the rod was transformed into a blade of incredible purpose and strength and sharpness fashioned and molded into a perfect weapon created for one purpose. With intense pressure and force and smelting and patience and bearing with the heat and the powers at hand, the forging produced a perfectly molded, formed weapon fit for battle and deliverance. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. This is the Message to King Podcast. Episode 41, Judge Ehud and the Word of God. We don't know for sure when Ehud made his famous sword, but we do understand the process of refining, for it is entirely Christian in nature. It states in Matthew 3, 3 that God himself will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Or Psalms 12.6, The words of the Lord are pure, as silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. Or Isaiah 48.10, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. We have to see that through this process, Ehud's sword and Ehud's character was forged to be used by God. 
He was refined in the forging of his own sword. This is the refining fire of God, which God uses to refine and mold Christ-like character in his servants. This is what Moses learned in the wilderness. David learned it on the run from his king. This is the refining fire of God that defines our character. With each bang of the hammer and hardship, the metal rod was being forced into a mighty weapon for God, one capable of fulfilling purpose and sustaining character in success and victory. Ehud was ready, and Eglon had no idea God had forged his weapon, and it was ready for use. Judges 3.12 Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for eighteen years. And again the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. All right, so let's talk about Ehud. He's a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. In these days, it was considered a handicap to be left-handed, but God will be using this seemingly disadvantage to his advantage. Sounds like another one of God's running themes, to take the hopeless, weak, unexpected, or humble, and turn their exploits into heroic acts to save a nation. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Ehud was one of the survivors of the previous episode battles. The civil disturbance which led to the near destruction of a twelfth of Israel and the tribe of Benjamin. After Israel attacked Benjamin, only 600 of the Benjamites actually survived, and Ehud was one of them. Ehud's name means unity, which makes this story so nuts because God would use the tribe that was nearly destroyed and make them the leading tribe over the people. God uses the most unexpected vessels, which we will see with Samson and Gideon. God really loves puns and messing with people. Here's a Benjamite who will be a hero of the nation just after they were nearly destroyed, and his name means unity. If this isn't enough, here's another. He's a left-handed, and here he is from the tribe of Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. A left-handed hero from the tribe of the son of my right hand. God truly hides his humor for the seeking. The Israelites sent him with tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Judges 3.16 Now Ehud had made a double-edged sword, about a cubit long, which he strapped to his right thigh under his clothing. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab, who was a very fat man. Alright, so the adversary is Eglon. Eglon, with the help of two other people groups, are oppressing Israel. The Bible said that he was a very fat man. I mean, it actually reads he's vehemently fat. He represents the flesh, and Eglon, his actual name, means cow. This cow is eating from the wrong property and devouring the first fruits of the land, and he is oppressing the people and demanding by force tribute from the tribes of Israel. Thus the arrival of Ehud to pay tribute. So let's park here with the statement that Eglon represents the flesh. He represents the sinful nature of man, the one that destroys the person, the one that the devil empowers to cause a person to sin and fall short of God. Eglon represents the strongholds in people's lives, the sinful nature, the area of weakness that the enemy empowers to destroy a person. 
Eglon is the stronghold and sinful stronghold in people's hearts, which we know Jesus can easily overthrow if we allow him, which this story will represent. Judges 3.18 After Eglon had presented the tribute, he sent on their way those who had carried it. But on reaching the stone images near Gilgal, he himself went back to Eglon. All right. Ehud paid Eglon treasure, tribute, or call it payment for protection, like a mafia warlord. All right, so far, Ehud paid tribute to Eglon and was leaving and stops and turns around at the location of Gilgal. So what's the big deal with Gilgal? Why does he turn back here? Geography is important, and there's, there's nothing written by mistake in the Bible. At the stone images at Gilgal, he turned around. So no doubt, Ehud understood the stone images at Gilgal. It was here that Joshua brought up 12 stones from the crossing of the Jordan. And when Joshua crossed the Jordan, he placed 12 stones in the river and 12 stones in Gilgal as remembrance stones. Here at Gilgal, Ehud stops and stares at the stone images erected in Gilgal. Could these stones be the actual stone images that Joshua brought? Or could it be Eglon carved and made into idols the exact stones? Or did Eglon just place his own idols directly in front of the 12 stones? We don't know for sure, but we do know that here he turned 180 degrees. All right, so at this point, if Ehud could time travel at the to the time of Jesus, he would witness a fiery preacher whose message would be, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The location of his preaching was the Jordan River just down the road. Repentance was his message, and he was sent in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons, and the sons to their fathers, and his name was John the Baptist. His message, repentance, did not mean to get on your face and cry out to be forgiven, but it implied just this, to turn 180 degrees and act and think differently. Here is Ehud, not far from the place of John the Baptist's repentance messages, turning 180 degrees to fulfill his purpose. Ehud was about to embark on a new journey, and with him was his sword. The account continues, Judges 3.19. And Ehud said to Eglon, Your Majesty, I have a secret message for you. The king said to his attendants, Leave us, and they all left. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone in the upper room of his palace and said, I have a message from God for you. And as the king rose from his seat. All right, so take note here. Eglon and Ehud are alone in an upper room, and all the attendants are not present. It's mano a mano, one on one, Ehud and Eglon in an upper room. The symbolism here is ridiculous. The upper room is where principalities fall. Here the oppression of Israel ends. I absolutely love his statement, I have a message from God. Jesus later would say, when the strong man is tied up, his possessions can be taken. In this place, in this upper room where principalities fall, Eglon will be dealt with. In this place alone, Ehud will face their stronghold and enemy leader and take him out. The scene of upper rooms will repeat itself. Ishbosheth, son of Saul, will be killed in his upper room. And most famous of all, the church will be birthed and gifts will come and the evangelism of the earth will be taken to a new level in Acts 2 in the most famous upper room in all of history when the word of God came like tongues of fire and overthrew a principality in Jerusalem as 3,000 were saved in a day. 
Judges 3.21 Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword from his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Then Ehud went out of the porch, he shut the doors of the upper room behind him, and locked them. What an intense story. God is not condoning assassination, I make that clear, but it is during a time of oppression. I have to admit that, but there is so much meaning here. Remember that verse I read just way too much, Hebrews 4.12? For the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. That's just crazy vivid when you consider this verse. I almost think the writer of Hebrews had this story in mind as these words were penned, for the sword was thrust so deep it could not be returned. This is the perfect picture as gory as it gets, for instantly Ehud took down the stronghold over their country, after which Israel easily destroyed their enemies. Judges 3.26 Ehud got away. He passed by the stone images and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived there, he blew a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went down with them from the hills, with him leading them. Follow me, he ordered, for the Lord has given Moab, your enemy, into your hands. So they followed him down and took possession of the fords of the Jordan that led to Moab. They allowed no one to cross over. And at that time, they struck down 10,000 Moabites, all vigorous and strong. Not one escaped. That day Moab was made subject to Israel, and the land had peace for 80 years. Once Ehud takes down Eglon, we can understand why his name means unity. For he blows a shofar and rallies troops, and in unity the tribes show up to assist him under his leadership. Next he leads armies, seizes and possesses the gates of Israel by taking the fords across the Jordan and defeats the enemies of Israel. What is unique about Ehud is the result of his actions, which was a double blessing for two generations, 80 years would have peace in Israel. We will not see this with any other judge, possibly because Ehud had no mercy on the enemies of God and the idols in the land, possibly because he obeyed the instructions of God that no stronghold should exist in the land, possibly because he was forged like a sword, Possibly because he even possessed the gates of Israel and did not allow the enemy to get away, and because he tore down the stronghold over the land. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, there is a process that Ehud went through. He went through the fire and times of preparation. He repented by turning 180 degrees in his heart and actions, and in turn he threw down the strong man in his life and his nation. I ask you, the listener, have you taken out your stronghold? It's part of your testimony, and it must be destroyed by the word of God, mano a mano, one-on-one, for the enemy is subject to God's word. If you have taken down your stronghold, your testimony is a treasure. It's a part of your journey. It alone is a sword that, when you share it, it frees others from oppression by empowering them with your own testimony. That if God can do it in your life, He can do it in others as well. If you've not been freed from your strongholds, take the Word of God, let it mold you and forge you. 
pray to God for strength and power and perseverance and turn 180 degrees in your heart and mind and go to the upper chambers of your heart and forcibly remove the strong man which controls you. Take the word of God, the double-edged sword, and free yourself from the grip of sin and receive the double portion awaiting those who free themselves from the strong man. Then blow your shofar via prayer and join other believers in freeing our land. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Message of Kings. Stay tuned next week as the famine ends in Israel and Naomi decides to return to Israel as written in the book of Ruth. Feel free to visit the Facebook page and leave a comment or question, or if you want to chat, email me at messagetokings at gmail.com. Tune in next week to the Message to Kings podcast.